Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I was asked to participate in a religious diversity panel at NJC at Northeastern Junior College. And I was to represent the evangelical Christian position. And I was to give a 10-minute presentation as far as what the evangelical Christian position was and then to field questions from the audience. And joining me on the panel was a lesbian Wiccan, a Jewish rabbi, a woman who claimed to be a Buddhist, and a Catholic priest. And so needless to say, it was an eclectic group of people that met. And, and awkwardly, before the event, we all met together to eat dinner. And so I sat next to the Wiccan as she began to tell me about her life on the front range. And it was a very interesting conversation. And so it came time to get up in front of about 200 NJC students and as they filled the Korsberg Theater there over there. And, and I was a little nervous going in because I really wanted to not only represent Emmanuel well, but I wanted to represent the Lord well and represent our faith. And so you never know what you're walking into. And, and, it, and it kind of became one of those issues where it was definitely, it kind of became an informal debate between me and the Wiccan, uh, the lesbian Wiccan. And so it was very interesting. And so I was able to share the faith in about 10 minutes, field some questions. And then um, afterwards, it was amazing how many students actually flocked to her I don't know if they were trying to get more information, but it, it was a very interesting experience. Being in front of that many college students, praying that you're quick on your feet, that I'd be able to give a defense of the faith, going in there a little bit nervous as far as what, what, do, you, what do you expect being part of something like this? Am I going to mumble over my words? And so standing in front of that many students to, to defend the faith is kind of a scary thing. Now, probably none of you here have ever had to walk in and, and defend your faith in front of 200 college students um, in a large auditorium before. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you have. But I can probably guess that some of you have been put on the spot at work to give a defense for your faith, and you weren't sure what you were going to say. Maybe some of you here are students in the classroom or maybe on the, the team, you're out there on the sports field or in your classroom, and you too had to give a defense, but you were afraid to speak up. You didn't know what to say in that moment. Perhaps you're hanging out with your family during a holiday and the issue of religion comes up and you know it's a touchy subject and you just kind of freeze in silence because you don't want to rock the boat when it comes with your family. So you just froze in silence because you didn't want to mess things up. Fear of man. We talked about it a lot last week. What does it mean to fear people? We can often live in fear of what others are going to say about us or do to us. And let me just say this very carefully, and it's no surprise to you. We live in a culture where it's getting harder and harder to stand up for the faiths of the Christian faith. It's getting harder and harder. Very difficult. And Jesus told us this in John 15, 18-20. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember what I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus is very clear. We're going to be hated by the world. We're going to be persecuted. And so it's going to get more and more difficult to stand up for the truth. Now, there are a lot of reasons for this. We could spend probably all Sunday talking about this. But let me just give you a few issues or reasons why I think it's getting more difficult. First of all, we fear being called intolerant, bigoted, narrow-minded, or hateful. Nobody wants to come off as an insensitive jerk in sharing our faith. Nobody wants to be hateful. Nobody wants to be intolerant. We want to be nice and loving, and we definitely don't want to be labeled that. We also see, in addition to that, our culture keeps telling us, just keep your religious views private. It's okay if you believe that in your home. It's okay if you believe that within the four walls of the church. But don't you dare bring it out into the public square. Don't you dare bring it into the workplace. Don't talk about your faith out in the public square. Keep it to yourself. And also there's the double standard. I may get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a double standard in our culture. You can place Black Lives Matter stuff all over the place, rainbow flags all over the place, but when you talk about Christianity, it's strictly forbidden in the workplace. So there's a double standard that we're afraid to speak up because maybe we may get fired, we may get maligned, we may get made fun of. There's hostility towards any type of outward profession of our faith. And so what's the temptation? The temptation is to be silent. I don't want to say anything. Because if I say something, I'm going to rock the boat. I'm going to put myself in jeopardy. I may lose friends. I may even lose my job. So it's easier just to be silent and not make waves. I'm a Christian, but I'm a James Bond Christian. I'm a secret agent. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows publicly that I'm a believer because I don't want to get made fun of. I don't want to be labeled a bigot. I don't want to be labeled racist or hateful. In other words, it goes back to what Jesus said last week about fearing people. And so Jesus continues this theme in our passage this morning about fearing people. So let's pick up in verse 8 of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 8. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. As I began preparing the sermon, I realized that I could not preach everything I wanted to preach in one Sunday or we'd be here for three hours. You're like, thank you, Pastor Sean, for not doing that. So I'm going to divide this up into two sermons. 
Now, next week, I'm going to deal with chapter, or I'm going to deal with verse 10. Next week, and you need to come back for this next week, next week I'm going to, ask, ask, I'm going to answer the question you're thinking I'm going to ask today. And I'm not going to get to it today, I'm going to get to it next week. What does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? That's what I'm going to deal with next week. It's too big of a topic to deal with in one sermon with everything that's going on. Next week we're going to deal with what does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? What's the one unforgivable sin? We're going to dive into that next week, so you'll have to come back. But what I want to do today is I want to look and see how verses 8 and 9 relate to verses 11 and 12. And so here's the big idea. Here's the main theme for this morning. It's this. The Holy Spirit empowers you to confess Christ with confidence. Do you want to be able to confess Christ with confidence? It only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I just want to ask three questions about this passage of Scripture. Three questions. Here's the first. What does it mean to acknowledge the Son of Man? Look at verse 8. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. Acknowledge. Maybe your translation says something different than acknowledge. The word means to profess your allegiance to Jesus publicly and openly. To be vocal and outspoken about your faith. Not to hide it. To be open about it. To be vocal about it. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. And you know this one. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Paul talks about two issues here. Believing in the heart and confessing with the mouth. Believing in the heart and confessing with the mouth. Now listen to what R.C. Sproul, he comments on this verse. This is what Dr. Sproul said. Two things are required of believers. First, in their hearts, they must have a true faith in Christ for for their salvation. And second, that faith in the heart is not to remain hidden there, but is to be made manifest through a verbal profession of faith to the watching world. You have faith in your heart, but it can't just stay there. It's got to come out in a profession of faith to the world. You've got to be vocal about your faith. You've got to let your light shine, as Jesus would tell us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 14-16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Shine your light before others. Acknowledge Jesus before men. What this means is is that we are to acknowledge Jesus. We're to be open and honest about our faith in Christ in all areas of our life. All areas of our life. You know what we tend to do as Christians? We tend to compartmentalize our faith. 
I can talk about Jesus when I'm in, within the four walls of the church. I can talk about Jesus when I'm around other Christians. I can talk about Jesus when I'm in the safety of the church. But when I'm out there at the school or the job place or the neighborhood, I don't really want to live out my faith. I'm just going to keep it to myself and in the safety of the church. Do you live for Jesus? And do you confess his name in all areas of your life? Do you do it at work? Do you do it at school? Do you do it on the team? In your neighborhood? In your associations and clubs? With your family? Are you willing to be open and honest about your faith in Jesus in all areas of your life? Openly, publicly, verbally. Acknowledging Him. Before men. Before men. Now, in what particular areas should we be bold and take a stand in? Let's just think of some particular areas that are unpopular that we're going to be required to take a stand on. It's, it's, it's easy for me to stand up and take a stand on these as your pastor because I'm the pastor and I, I'm paid to do that. But where the rubber meets the road is where you as an individual Christian has to take a stand out in the culture that does not want to hear what you have to say. Are you willing to make that stand? Let's think about some areas. We need to make a stand on the fact that the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant, absolute truth of God's word. We can't budge on that. We've got to be willing to stand and say, this is God's infallible word. Another area we've got to stand on is Jesus is the only way of salvation. He's not one of, one of many ways. He's not a good way. He's the only way. Last week we looked at this in some detail when Jesus talked about casting people into hell. There is a literal hell. A place of eternal conscious torment for those who do not repent and believe in Jesus and die in their sins. We need to be upfront about the reality of hell. And lest I get shut down on Facebook or YouTube, we must be very clear that homosexual behavior, gay marriage, the transgender confusion, that is sinful behavior. We've got to be clear on these things. But you see, we don't want to speak up on these things because our culture comes at us and labels us as bigoted, narrow-minded, intolerant. You can't say that. And so our temptation is to be silent. But let me just remind you, if God has spoken in his word, to disobey anything that God has said is to disobey God himself. And Glenn, our elder, read this earlier. Isaiah 66, 2. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do we tremble before God's word or do we tremble before people? I'm afraid far too many of us tremble before people and we don't tremble before God's word. Do we acknowledge Jesus openly, publicly, before men? It doesn't mean we have to be rude. It doesn't mean we have to be insensitive jerks. But it does mean that we have to take a stand. And it's going to get harder and harder. But we need to do it. Now, the second question 
that I want to ask this morning is what does it mean to deny Jesus? What does it mean to deny Jesus? Because Jesus says just in the next verse there, verse 9, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Well, it's, it's really the exact opposite of what it means to acknowledge Jesus. To deny, really, what, what to deny Jesus means I never knew Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I, I don't have any association with Jesus. I don't know who he is. I'm publicly saying I have no relationship with Christ. It's a public denial of Jesus before men. Do you remember the parable of the soils? The second soil. The soil that was rocky. The rocky soil. Listen to what Jesus said about the rocky soil. Luke 8, 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while. In a time of testing, fall away. They fall away. Now, let's just make it very clear. They don't fall away because they somehow lost their salvation. It's not what it means. They fell away for two reasons. Jesus tells us right in that text. Number one, they had no root. They had no true salvation. They may have had a mere profession of faith, but they had no possession of faith. They had no root. But number two, Jesus says when the time of testing comes, they fell away. Oftentimes, those that were professors of faith, but not possessors of faith, will bail on Jesus when the heat's turned up, when the time of testing comes, when persecution is upon you. So Jesus makes it very clear here. We need to acknowledge him publicly before men, and we should not deny him publicly before men. Now I could go home and say, okay, there we go, there's a sermon. And some of you are thinking, you don't know where I work. You don't know what it's like to be a student at my school. You don't know what it's like to be in my family. You don't know what it's like to, to be on the social media platform that I'm on. You don't know what it's like to have all these, these obstacles coming at me. It's very, very difficult, Pastor Sean. And so let's ask the third question. third question is this. How can we possibly take a confident stand for Jesus with so much hostility. How can you do it? We know we're supposed to do it. How can we do it? Well, here's the answer. The Holy Spirit will empower you to confess Christ with confidence. Notice what Jesus says. Look at verse 11. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you ought to to say don't be anxious jesus says now what's our natural temptation when we're faced with persecution when we're faced with opposition our natural temptation is to be anxious we we want to be silent we, we don't want to speak up if, if i say something i'm going to rock the boat if i say something i'm going to put myself out there so i want to be silent I, i'm anxious and notice what jesus says the holy spirit will do verse 12 for the holy spirit will teach you in that very hour 
what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour. Now, I find it very interesting, the wording that Jesus uses there. The Holy Spirit will teach you. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit will empower you, which is true. The Holy Spirit will embolden you, which is true. No, he says the Holy Spirit will teach you. Now, this is a direct reminder to what Jesus tells the apostles in the upper room just right before his arrest. In John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send you in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. See, here's the great comfort. Here's the great comfort. The Holy Spirit will give you exactly what you need to say, when you need to say it, at the right time you need to say it. He'll give you the words to say in that very hour. He'll bring things to memory from the Scriptures. He will give you boldness to defend what you ought to say or how you should defend yourself. Now that word defend there in verse 11 is where we get our word apologetics. Apologia. Now, contrary to popular belief, apologetics doesn't mean to apologize for the Christian faith. I've heard people of the years say, well, I don't understand apologetics, Christian apologetics. Why should we apologize for our faith? That's not what it means. It doesn't mean to apologize. The Greek word for defense is the Greek word apologia, which means to either defend yourself from false attacks or to defend the faith. It just simply means a defense. Now, we're going to get to this, who knows when. It's the last, the last few verses in the book of Luke. Okay, we're, we're halfway through the book. Maybe in a couple years we'll get there. But um, at the end of Luke 22, 44 through 49, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he, I love this, verse 45, He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Disciples, you're going to share the message. You're going to preach the gospel. You're going to preach repentance through the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. But you need to go to Jerusalem and you need to wait. Don't you dare go out in your own strength and your own power. Go to Jerusalem and wait until you're clothed with power from on high. And what do we know what happens? Well, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit will empower you to confess Christ with confidence. Now, you need to indulge me this morning because I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts, and, and, and later on we're going to be in Colossians. So we're going to jump out of Luke for a moment. I want you to go to Acts chapter 4. And I want you to see how this plays out. What did Jesus promise his disciples? You're going to be clothed with power. You're going to receive power. You're going to be able to defend the faith. When they bring you before the councils, when they bring you before the synagogues, when they bring you before the rulers, you're going to be told what to say in that very hour. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you. Well, let's see this in real time. 
Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 8. This is where Peter and John are brought before the council. They're brought before the rulers, the authorities. And I want you to notice the wording there. Verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Very important. Well, you ask the question, well, wasn't Peter already filled back at Pentecost? Yes. But each time you stand up before a new audience or each time you're in a new situation, you need a new filling of the Holy Spirit. You need a new empowering of the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people in Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness underline that when they saw the boldness of peter and john they perceived that they were uneducated common men and they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with jesus peter's there with opposition facing him he's before the sanhedrin and it says he's filled with the holy spirit he's empowered by the holy spirit and peter stands up and gives a defense and afterwards what do the leaders say that man's full of boldness that man's been emboldened That man had been with Jesus. So Peter was given in that very hour the power of the Spirit, filling of the Spirit to be able to give a defense. Now, later on, the church is praying. They're praying against the persecution, against the threats coming at them. And if you go down in verse 28, I'm sorry, let's look at verse 29. This is the church's prayer. Notice what the church is praying for. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. They prayed for boldness. The Holy Spirit gave them boldness. And what Jesus says right here is when you need boldness, when you need power, the Holy Spirit will give it to you at the moment that you need it. When you're faced with opposition, when you're faced with jeers, when you're faced with those questions and you don't know what to say. How many of you have ever been in that situation where you didn't know what to say and you just opened your mouth and words came out and afterwards you're like, that was not me. That was the Holy Spirit. I have no idea what I just said. It had to be the Holy Spirit. It's the filling, empowering of the Holy Spirit in that moment, right at the exact time, to be able to give a defense. 1 Peter 3, 14-15 says this, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, those oppressors, those, those persecutors. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. There's the same Greek word, an apologia. To be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The Holy Spirit will equip you and empower you at just the right time, but we need to be careful with this. It doesn't mean that, you, that you're lazy and you don't study. 
that you're not prepared. No, you prepare, you study, you read up, you, you search the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit will give you power. Now, sometimes he'll bail you out when you don't do all that stuff. And praise the Lord for those times where the Holy Spirit bails you out. But it's not an excuse to not be prepared. But you can have the confidence and peace and comfort to know that at the right time when you need it, the Holy Spirit will give you that confidence to confess Christ publicly. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says this, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You can't publicly confess Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit. We need to pray for boldness. We need to pray for this empowering, this equipping. Do you know Paul prayed for this? Listen to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 6, 18-20. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me. Pray for me. What, what do you want us to pray for, Paul? That words may be given to me in my opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What does Paul pray for? I want to have boldness. Now this is Paul. The greatest missionary, the greatest evangelist probably to ever live. And he is praying for boldness. And what does he say? I need the Holy Spirit's help to open my mouth and share boldly as I ought to share. To have that boldness. Now let's turn to Colossians chapter 4. A little Bible drill this morning. I'm making you turn pages, but that's fun. It means we're getting into our Bibles. Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 6. Now this is a parallel passage to the Ephesians passage we just read about Paul praying for boldness. And Paul words it a little bit differently here. And I want you to notice how he words it just a little bit differently, but it's, it's somewhat a similar language. Okay, so Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. I'm going to wait till everybody gets there. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Okay, Paul writes this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. Okay, there's that same pray for us. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Notice this time he says that I may make it clear. Earlier he said that I may make it bold. So Paul really, if you take both these together, Paul's saying we need to pray for boldness and clarity, that we would make it bold and make it clear. And then let's continue reading. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Notice twice there, Paul says this is something you ought to do, how I ought to speak, how I ought to answer each person. It's an obligation placed upon us. But he notices he, in verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Who were the outsiders? The unsaved. Those people that aren't Christians. How do you live in wisdom in front of non-believers? 
and especially those that hate what you have to say, that don't want you to stand for your truth. They may be antagonistic towards you or they may be ambivalent. I hate what you have to say. I don't care what you have to say. We're to be walking in wisdom. You realize in the early church, it's, it's interesting, when you go back and read the early church, outsiders, those that were outside the faith, they slandered the early Christians. And you know what type of words they used for the early Christians? They were called atheists. Christians were called atheists. You know why? They didn't worship the pantheon of Greek gods. They worshiped the one true God. They were called atheists. Christians were also called unpatriotic because they didn't burn incense once a year on the temple mount there, or not the temple, but the, they would go to these temples and they would burn incense and they would, they would pledge allegiance to the Roman emperor, calling the Roman emperor Lord and God. They wouldn't do that, so they were called unpatriotic. They were labeled that. They were also labeled cannibals because of the Lord's Supper. What's this thing about eating the body and blood of this man named Jesus? They're, they're a bunch of cannibals. They were accused of incest because Christians would call people that weren't their brothers and sisters brothers and sisters and had this brotherly love and sisterly love for each other. They were accused of being incestuous. They were accused of being immoral because they would often meet behind closed doors for fear of persecution. What's going on behind those closed doors with those Christians? They're meeting in catacombs. They're meeting, they're meeting behind closed doors. All these labels against Christians and nothing has happened in over 2,000 years. The culture still maligns us, misunderstands us, and sometimes mistreats us. And regardless of how the world treats us, what does Paul say here? Walk in wisdom. Watch your speech. Season with salt. No matter how they treat us, we need to treat them with gentleness and respect. Now, bold, yet with gentleness and respect. You can be bold and not be a jerk. I give you permission. Paul gives you permission. But I want you to also notice what Paul says here. Making the best use of the time, there in verse 5. Making the best use of the time, or redeeming the time. He, 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 he uses the same terminology in Ephesians 5, 15-16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I want to share with you the, 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 the word, there's two words for time in the Greek language. There's chronos, which we understand chronological time, like on a clock. That's not the word Paul uses here. He uses the word kairos. Kairos. Now, kairos is a different Greek word for time. It means a unique, opportune, God-appointed time, like a divine appointment, an opportunity that God gives you that may never happen again. And Paul says, be looking out for these God moments these divine appointments, these, these opportunities where God has given you an opportunity at a specific point in time, don't miss out on that, that opportunity. God's given you that particular opportunity, that particular time. And so here's the thing that happens. This is the scary thing that happens, okay? If you get serious about praying this way, when you say, okay, I'm going to take Paul at his words. I'm going to start praying for boldness. I'm going to start praying for clarity. I'm going to start walking with wisdom towards outsiders. I'm going to start praying for those unique opportunities. Guess what God will do? He will give those to you. He'll give you those unique opportunities. And you've got to make a choice in those moments when he gives you those opportunities. Am I going to keep my mouth shut? 
or am I going to be bold? Am I going to make the best use of my time, or am I going to walk the other way? Am I going to be paralyzed with fear, or am I going to open my mouth? Am I going to rely upon the Holy Spirit to give me the boldness in that moment? Here's the bottom line. If we truly love Jesus, we should not be ashamed to let people know it. Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed to stand up for the truth. 2 Timothy 1.8 Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me his prisoner but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Here's the bottom line. We serve a sovereign Savior who's the only hope of a lost and dying world. We serve a God who's on His throne. We serve a Savior, Jesus, who's died on the cross and rose again and has made salvation possible to all who would repent and believe. We serve a good loving, powerful, sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. And here's the bottom line. Why would you not want to share that? Why would you keep that a secret? Why would you keep that to yourself? Why would you be ashamed to confess Jesus before a watching world? The Holy Spirit will empower you to confess Christ with confidence. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here in a few moments, but I want to remind you of the words. We, we often read these words almost every time we do the Lord's Supper, but I want you to think about it. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you, what are we doing? Proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We're proclaiming, we're declaring the Lord's death. Now, Here's the thing. On a Sunday morning when we're in safety in numbers, it's very easy to proclaim Jesus, right? We take the Lord's Supper. We proclaim the Lord's death. We take it together as a family. It's a beautiful experience to proclaim the Lord's death, to be bold about Jesus in the four walls of the church. We can talk boldly about Jesus. Nobody's going to get onto us. We can do it boldly. We can do it vocally. We can sing our hearts out. We can talk about Jesus within the four walls of this church. It's very, very safe. But when you leave this place and you walk out and you face the world, will you proclaim Jesus with the same type of boldness? So let's, let's rely on the Holy Spirit. Let's rely upon the Holy Spirit to equip us, to empower us, to embolden us. Because here's the bottom line. I've been saying that a lot today, the bottom line. Living for Jesus is worth it. And why? Because he's worth it. He's absolutely worth it all to live for him, to not be ashamed of him, to publicly profess our love for him. I know it's difficult. 
I know that some of you are going to walk out of this place and you're going to be faced with situations where it's scary. It is threatening. There are restrictions. And I want to pray for you and I want to encourage you, but let us be a people that walk out of here with boldness. Not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's trust in the Holy Spirit to give us that confidence to confess Christ with that boldness. So let me ask you to bow your heads as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together this morning as an act of worship to our great Savior. We come before you this morning in preparation to take the Lord's Supper. We want to pray like Paul did for boldness. Lord, I know it's hard. There are many times where I've failed to speak up and there's times where I wish I would have said something or I wish I would have been stronger and I, I cowered in fear. I was more worried about what other people thought of me, trying to save face, or just easier not to rock the boat. Lord, all of us know that feeling. But Lord, because you're so wonderful and you're so awesome and powerful, why would we not want to share you? Why would we be ashamed? So Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness to the Holy Spirit to stand for truth, no matter what comes our way. Lord, we're going to need a generation, especially of young people, Lord, would you protect the children in this church and the youth in this church as they are faced with a culture that maybe many of us didn't grow up with, that they would be bold. Lord, let the children from the mouth of babes be an example to us as adults in the boldness that they have and how they take a stand and how they're not willing to go with the tide, but they're willing to stand for Jesus. Lord, let the younger generation lead the way in this. Because, Lord, I think in, in a lot of ways we failed as the older generation. We've been silent way too much. Give us boldness, Lord. Holy Spirit, we depend upon you. We can't do this without your empowering, without your equipping, without your filling. And so thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give us exactly what we need to say at the right moment, at the right time. Help us to redeem the time. Help us to take advantage of those, those divine appointments that you give us. And help us just to open our mouth and trust that you'll give us the words to say. It's all a matter of trust, Lord. So help us to be trusting. Help us to be dependent. Help us to rely upon you, Holy Spirit. Now prepare our hearts as we take the Lord's Supper this morning together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.